Hey everyone, we're in conversation with Michael Bungay, staying your MBS. Look what I have. Look at that. It's in the green screen. It looks purple, but it's not. Uh, how to begin, start doing something that matters. Uh, MBS, um, you and I go back a fair ways. 17, 18, 19 millennia, I think. Yeah. Um, and I have been privileged to read a whole whack of your books before they even make the press and the people and the public. Um, you know me. Um I, I love you dearly, but I got to say that this book by far, uh, for me personally, is your best because it's helped me see things differently in my own life, which is a quarter successful uh, <laughs> and you're helping me get to half. So I want you just to tell us like, what, what is how to begin? And then we'll get into a couple other questions. So just give us the, yeah. the Cole's notes for those of us to understand what that means. Cool. Well, at its most superficial, it's a, here's how you think about goals. Um, in partly it's a reaction to how underwhelming most of the goal setting stuff that we've got. So, you know, smart goals, the more I thought about it, the less I got excited about smart goals. So yeah. that's, it. that's its most kind of superficial level. Um, the next level down is this is a way to help people connect to their ambition for themselves, but also for the world. How do they make the world better? How do they make their lives better? And to find a path for that. And then I think probably at its heart is this um, idea that we unlock our greatness by working on the hard things. Mm. So how do you figure out what are the hard things for you to work on? And how do you do that as a way of unlocking the very best of you so that you, you don't plateau, but you take the next step to becoming the next best version of who you are? You know, um, Years ago, you were kind enough, you and I had a chat about one of my books I was writing at the time, and, and you said something pretty profound to me, and I want to, I want to relate the two, because this is probably seven or eight years ago, and you said, you know, part of my purpose is to infect uh, a billion people with the possibility virus. That's right. So take me back to the days of yonder when you were thinking that way. Is it still applicable, and how does how to begin relate to your kind of purpose play. Yeah, that, that statement of vision and purpose and mission for me was so much better before there was a pandemic. <laughs> people being what? infected, like literally billions of people being infected, not necessarily with the possibility virus. Right. So I was, you know, it's helpful to have a sort of North Star or a, a general direction that kind of feeds a, a purpose to your work so you can make choices. Yeah. And... I want to help people make bigger, braver, better choices. I can't make that choice for them. But if I can do anything in terms of how I teach, that puts them in a position where they might tip towards the braver choice, the more courageous choice, then fantastic. So that's the possibility part of it. And then infect a billion people. Well, I, I wanted to the infecting word is quite big because it is a, I, it means I have to create stuff that travels without me. Yeah. I have to decenter myself from what this is all about so that I can provide, you know, memes or ideas or structures that get passed along. Um, and so that kind of points to what I try and create and also in what formats I try and create it. Um, because even though I've got, a certain part of me that is pulled towards going, you know, claim the claim the laurel crown of guruness and you know proclaim that you're the wisest man, you know, this side of Milan or whatever. Yeah. Um, actually, I'm I'm not that interested in that. I'm more interested. I, you know, it's exciting for me when 
that the thought that people might come across these ideas, not know that I've packaged them and shaped them, but they act on them and their lives are better. And that means all of our lives are better without me getting any of the credit. Perfect. Uh, look at you, Mr. Humble. But um, there's got to be an impetus from where, where this book came from. Like when you think about all of your uh, wonderful compendium of writing, um, you know, many people may have been introduced to you for the first time with The Coaching Habit, which is uh, a phenomenal book. The follow-up to that, The Advice Trap, uh, I found, again, uh, interesting way in which for you to complement The Coaching Habit, to be honest, it's kind of like almost a yin to yang with a little bit of a divergent path. And I'm not going to go back to the other books in the previous life um, prior to Coaching Habit. But I want to know where this came from. There was a something was gnawing at you uh, that said, hey, smart goals are dumb. Maybe they say that. Maybe that was someone else. But I I mean, we've all been coached. I mean, I was former chief learning officer at TELUS. And, you know, one of the staples of uh, professional development for years has been the SMART goal. You know, your annual performance objectives were had to be SMART goals. You've taken it on a whole other level, but I'm curious, where where did the genesis uh, manifest? It it came, it it went sideways a bit, Dan, because actually when I was trying to write the next book, it was actually a build from the advice trap where I'm like, you know what? The advice trap didn't quite crack behavior change the way I was hoping I would. I was like, you know, I, I wish I'd done another few iterations to kind of figure it out, to land the plane. So I started writing a book that was going to be the next thing about personal change and behavior change. And um, I wrote a version of it, a first draft, yeah. and sent it around to a few people. And one of them, a guy called Misha here in Toronto, wrote back to me after a day and a half. He went, look, I've read 60 pages of this. It's nonsense. I have no idea what it's about. It's, it's, it's not very good, is it? I was like, ah! <laughs> that is that is remarkably accurate and slightly harsh. Yeah. Um, so I kind of picked through the rubble of this draft. And in it, I found this sentence that I written, we unlock our greatness by working on the hard things. And that became the, the doorway into what this book was to become, which is like, okay, so actually, rather than writing about behavior change at the center of it, why don't I talk about how we grow and evolve and become the next best version of ourselves through mm. the work that we choose, the work that we do, work in its broader sense. So I was like, how do I help people have the courage to make the braver choices? Because, you know, through being influenced by the work of people like um, Bob Keegan and Lisa Leahy and Immunity to Change and um, before that, uh, the guy who wrote about leadership from the balcony, who's Ron Heifetz, um, and adaptive change and technical change. Um, I was like, I, I had come to realize or re- remember how strong the pull of status quo is. How even though we might be frustrated by what's going along with us, the, the status quo is thus because we're getting something from it. Hmm. We're getting more than we realize. Yeah. But how do we escape the, the, the bonds of status quo? And this idea that's at the heart of the book, which is set a worthy goal, a goal that is thrilling and important and daunting, is one way that you create the momentum, the thrust, the, the direction that will allow you to 
escape the gravity of the status quo and, and start you on your next adventure. Wow. Well, let's let's get into it. Um, so set a worthy goal is kind of like one of your three key uh, arbiters of how to begin and how to go through that kind of goal process. The second is commit. And then the third, if I remember correctly, is cross the threshold. Yeah, perfect. Uh, and you're a perfect writer of threes, by the way. <laughs> so set a worthy goal, commit, and cross the threshold. What you do so interestingly in this book, amongst others, but this one in particular, you also make it human and humane, and you provide personal anecdote and kind of a exemplar of exemplar of where you're going through the journey. And so in this case, in this book and how to begin, you actually you do it twice. I do. You know, at the end of most of the sections, if not all, and it's you know about um, the. Well, the podcast, you want to be in the start or launch a podcast, be in the top 3% if I'm not mistaken, within 12 months. Yeah. And then uh, some people may have met you not through your writing, but through your work uh, as the founder of Box of Crayons, a wonderful leadership professional coaching development organization that you founded. And you're you're actually laying out the path for the reader um, to see how you're going through the process of actually... I think you, you, you'll you'll say it better, but you're you're kind of like gracefully or graciously handing over power to Shannon, the CEO in waiting of Box of Crayons. So, first of all, set away the goal, commit, and cross the threshold. And you've got these two exemplars. Like that's it's wonderful writing. So, how do you get to that uh, decision that you're going to open yourself up and share these two exemplars? Well. I have done a ton of these, read a ton of these books where it's kind of like got a workbooky feel, you know, it's got a thing at the end of a chapter saying, now fill this out. Yeah. And I very rarely do. Yeah. And um, in part, it's just because I'm obstreperous and I have a resistance to being told to do anything. <laughs> but it's in part because I'm like, I'm not entirely sure if I'm doing this right. And uh, I wanted to be a role model for people to, to show them how stuff actually progresses and evolves and change. And, um, I, you know, I could have made up stories and, and kind of done the whole, hey, this is Dan. Dan lives in the West Coast of Canada. This is Dan's challenge and kind of created a fictional thing based on, you know, whoever. But I just could speak with more nuance and more vulnerability to my own story and my own wrestling with it and my own messiness around it. Yeah. And... You know, as a facilitator and as a speaker, one of the mantras that my friend Mark Bowden taught me is people respond to the strongest signal in the room. Mm. So the other thing that I was able to do by telling my story and just showing how my own worthy goals evolved and changed and how I, how I wrestled with them and how I struggled with them, but how I made progress on them is I got to be, I got to, to show mess. <laughs> I got to show vulnerability and I got to show confusion. And um, just giving people permission that to say, look, this is a simple process. There are three broad sections, which you've named, and kind of three steps within each section, and so nine steps all up. Yeah. But it's not an easy process. It is a process of asking some hard questions, figuring out what you care about, doing the work to draft and refine a worthy goal, weighing up your choices, and then having the courage to cross the threshold. And I just wanted to, to show people somebody really doing the work. 
Well, you're really doing the work. I mean, I don't want to give the spoiler alert, right? What happens in the end? Because, I mean, who wants to know that the dinosaurs, you know, lose in Jurassic Park? I mean, that's a spoiler alert, right? Right. Yeah. Well, actually, I will give the spoiler alert because this is worth actually sharing. Yeah, so, it's, it's your book. You tell it. Fine, so fine. Worthy goal number one, which was it started off, stop being the CEO at Box of Crayons and evolve to a gracious transfer of power to Shannon, which is a more nuanced, much more challenging process. That, that went pretty well. That's actually, that's, I could say we've kind of ticked that and done a pretty good job at that. The second one, which is launch a new podcast, that's how it started, start a new podcast. Uh, and, and it evolved to have a podcast that's in the top 3% of podcasts, which I hold as having 10,000 downloads per episode. Right. Um, that, I, that I've kind of failed at. Like I'm at about maybe 1,000 downloads per episode if I'm feeling generous with myself, if I'm rounding up. <laughs> um, so... I'm like, okay, that's interesting. It's been much harder to get to 10,000 downloads than I was hoping. Um, so as I look into this next year, 2022, I get to revisit that worthy goal and go, is that still a thing? I still want a top 3% podcast. You know, what I realize is the top 3% may not actually be quite the right measurement anymore, although it's set a useful bar of ambition but it's more about how do I fully commit to supporting this podcast to help it find its ideal audience? That actually feels much more exciting. It's like, have I done everything I can to find everybody for whom this podcast would be their favorite podcast? That gets me excited. So that resets me up for the next year. Well, I have uh, three children, two dogs, two cats. So I think I'll, there's seven. <laughs> right there that i'll i'll ask it doubles my listening audience i'm pretty <laughs> excited about that um there are certain parts i've dog-eared a whole bunch of things in my green screen how to begin uh copy here uh i want you have such a way with words uh you're a master of the vernacular i would say <laughs> um uh, and, and three of them i want to get to because again behind the scenes there's more than just the words there's actually the behavior change that you allude to mm -hmm. one of them later on in the book is uh, way up the status quo. Yeah. And you do this wonderful, uh, you know, juxtaposition of comfort versus costs uh, and prizes versus punishments. Right. So tell us a bit when we weigh up the status quo, why we have to do this AB test, if you will. Yeah, yeah. So the first mistake people make when they're trying to think about what are they going to do? What should they put their attention to is they don't spend enough time drafting and interrogating and fine-tuning the worthy goal until it's got a real resonance, a real power to it. Yeah. And by the time you get to the end of the first section of the book, hopefully you've gone through two or three iterations and you're like, I'm pretty, this is pretty good. I'm pretty excited about this worthy goal now. Um, and what normally happens is then people go, right, so action. And I'm like, stop. Before you move to action, let's check if you're, you're really up for the commitment of this. And this is a, this is the, the, the more profound part of the work because mm. it's really kind of holding up a mirror and a question going, are you really up for this? Are you really up for it? Because when you've articulated your worthy goal, you're at a crossroads. One way says, don't do it. The other way says, I'm all in. So let's look at those choices so that you make the choices. This is the possibility virus, Dan. Yes, there we so, go. So 
one of your options is to walk away from this worthy goal. You've said it, you see it, it's thrilling and it's important and it's daunting. And nonetheless, you're going to walk away from it. What are the prizes and punishments of that choice? Well, the prizes are actually pretty obvious. You stay comfortable, you stay familiar, you don't risk money, you don't risk time, you don't risk relationships, you don't risk reputation, you don't risk status, yeah. you, don't, you don't risk failure. There's a whole bunch of ways where you're like, you know what, it's much more comfortable if I don't take that on. That's the prizes of not taking it on. But there's punishments. There's a cost to you not taking it on as well, which is you not achieving whatever that worthy goal is and having the impact and not only the impact from the project, but the impact on you as a person as you grow and evolve to become the person that you need to be to do that worthy goal. But I really want you to see that choice and weigh it up mm. because if comfort over, over um, is, feels more important to you than, than impact, then this may not be the worthy goal for you. But then you've got another question to ask, which is like, okay, imagine you fully commit to this worthy goal. You're like, no, I'm up for it. I am up for this adventure. Again, prizes and punishments. Well, prizes are kind of obvious. We're like, what is, what's going to happen with this worthy goal? You're going to do this, you're going to do that. This is going to happen. This is how it's going to impact you. This is how it's going to impact those around you. This is how it's going to impact the world. All sorts of great prizes that could come from that. But there's risk involved in you taking this on. So what's at risk? And what's at risk is failure. What's at risk is damaging your, your status and your reputation. It's kind of like the the flip side of the first, mm. the first questions that you've been weighing up. And I just want people to sit and think that through because unless you can see the choices that you're making, you're more likely to kind of bluster on. And mm. we, we've all had that moment where we've set a worthy goal and then we just have lost our mojo or lost momentum or got distracted or found it too hard. And until you're really clear that you're ready to commit, it's probably best not to um, not best to start. So later on, after you've set the worthy goal and you're started getting now into the action bits, right? You have another A B example when you're remembering your best self, yeah, right. And and then you get into this. Uh, actually, you get into this. You get into this, not that. Right. Uh, and some examples, right? You've got the dust versus dawn, uh, as well as. Um, the ice hotel versus the log fireplace. But those are just, you know, extrapolations of the point. So what is this, not that, when you're, you know, remembering your best self? Uh, the third phase of this, Dan, is crossing the threshold. Yeah. And I call it crossing the threshold, not climbing the mountain, because when you take on a worthy goal, something that is thrilling and important and daunting, you don't really know how to get it all done. You know how to start. You might you don't really know how to finish. So you're feeling your way forward. And it's a place of uncertainty and ambiguity and difficulty at times. And you will be knocked off your stride at least once. Mm. And one of the things that can happen when you get knocked off your stride is you kind of give up. You're going to lie down and go, it's all too hard. I can't go on. Right. And I want you to go on. So I want you to find a way of getting back to the best version of who you are. So the this, not that um, model, which I first wrote about more than 10 years ago in a book, yeah. Great Works. I kind of pulled it out of the vault. I love the um, line. I think you used, uh, yeah, you said pulled it out of the vault. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Disney style. Yeah. Um, 
but it kind of it dates back before then to when I was in the world of innovation and new product development and people used us to think about how to articulate a brand's essence. But here's how it works as a personal development model. It's really helpful for you to understand what you're like at your best. So remember those peak moments. You know, like, oh yeah, when I'm at my best, I'm, I'm this and I'm this and I'm this and I'm this. But it's also really helpful to remember and notice what you're like when you're off your game. And I don't really mean failing entirely. I mean a much more common thing, which is like I'm 15% off my game or 20% off my game. What does that look like? Mm. And how I find this useful is when I have my list of this, not that, which is like somewhere between five and seven paired words of me at my best and the kind of corresponding me just off my game. When I notice I'm off my game, it helps me find a way to get back to the this the, when I'm on my game. So for me, it's words like provocative, not sycophantic, <laughs> entertaining, not educational, uh, step forward, not step back, mm -hmm. uh, holding it lightly versus, oh, it really matters. You know, all of these is a words and language for me that I'm like, oh, you know what? I notice there are times where I get kind of caught up in the importance of it all and oh, it really matters and oh, I've got to behave and oh, I've got to do this. And it, and it dims my light. And when I notice that, I want to come back to that, that list on the other side of the ledger, the, this list, so I can show up as the best version of myself because from the best version of myself, then there's a good chance I'm going to be making interesting progress on my worthy goal. Love it. And I'm glad you didn't say hair, not bald, by the way, but that would make me very upset. <laughs> Each to their own, Dan. So, yeah, it could well be that your worthy goal is, you know, sleek, not shaggy. Like, ah, uh, bourbon, bourbon, not Irish whiskey. Just well, there we go. Perhaps. There we agree. <laughs> okay. Now, uh, when you are crossing the threshold, you've uh, close to the end. Uh, come up with another phrase that I love. My wife, uh, Denise, uh, we both married up, obviously. Um, she calls it shelving, uh, when to shelve people for a particular reason when she's trying to accomplish something because they yeah. get in the way or their, you know, yeah. baggage that, you know, whatever you call it, don't travel alone and yeah. don't travel alone being, you know, first, you really have to decide who you want to leave behind. And it, it, it's almost counterintuitive because people first, typically, I find in my work with leaders and teams is, okay, who needs to come on the train? Who do we need? And you're antithetical on this point. You're saying, wait a second, people. Uh, actually, who do you need to drop from the train or not even invite to the train? So tell us how Don't Traveling Alone actually um, yeah. gets you across the threshold. Sure. You know, once you're across the threshold... Um, it's just very hard to take on a worthy goal all by yourself. So you want to be figuring out the right people to have around you. And absolutely part of it is like bringing the right people on board. Yeah. But you know, as human beings, we have a bias towards adding on rather than removing. And it's, it's, um, there's a, a wonderful book called Subtract by uh, Lodi Klotz. And he talks about the science of, of, of this bias. Uh, he, he gives an example about Tess using Lego. Mm. And, and I'll get this slightly wrong, but, but metaphorically right, which is like they, people are given a kind of combination of Lego and they have to move it from what it is at the moment to a different design. 
but they have to pay a dollar for every brick that gets used. Uh, and almost all of them, like 90% of them, uh, use the five or six bricks that are required to build the thing that gets them to the design. And less than 10% of people remove the single brick that would also get them to the design. So we just have this inherent bias, which is when in doubt, add on. Mm. And actually in so many ways, strategy is not about adding on, it's about removing. It's mm. about having the courage to say no to the stuff that you might otherwise say yes to. So I wanted to start this by going, look, clear the decks before you start building again. It's a bit like, you know, every now and then, like I buy too many books. <laughs> and occasionally I need to kind of redo my bookshelves so that there's space for them. Yeah. The worst way for me to do that is just to kind of look through them and remove the occasional one. And a much more effective way is to take all the books off all the shelves and then decide which books get put back. That is a much more active choice to, to put it back on the shelf rather than a more passive choice to what do I leave on the shelf? Well, which is a long way to say there are people in your life who will be create resistance around you making progress on your worthy goal. The people who don't believe in you, the people who poo-poo the idea, the people who say play it safe, the people who say you'd be disappointing me if you took this on. And you just want to be looking at those and going, do I still want these people to be part of this? Or do I need to leave them behind so I can make progress on something that you've, you've thought about, something that is not a casual yes, but something that's thrilling and important and daunting. Amazing. Um, I'm glad you said yes, whatever, 10, 12 years ago to a friendship that seems to have withstood the test of time and uh, all things in between. It's the book is distance. It's because of the pandemic. I don't actually have to spend any time with you. And that's the only thing holding this relationship together. This is true, actually. Good point, man. Um, the book is How to Begin. Where do we get it? Help me out here. Sure. Well, um, howtobegin.com is a website where you'll get bonuses and downloads and, and also links to show you where you can get it as well. But it's at all the places that you normally go to buy a book. Well, that's excellent. Assuming we're allowed to go buy books again. but uh, And online yeah. as well. It's on, It's in... Look, I'm, I'm a huge believer in supporting your local independent bookstore. Exactly. And so if you've got a local bookstore, try and use them, try and order through them because they need all the help that we can give them. Couldn't agree more. As usual, MBS, thank you very much. Um, how to begin has helped me to begin, uh, incidentally, uh, a journey towards, uh, you know, what does Dan stand for with his... Uh, enterprise of one uh, with his book writing, his work that he does, talking about me. And and really, um, it shook me up. Uh, I must say, it shook me up because I think there's a few bits in there that I thought I was doing well. And I have since, um, having read it twice now, oh, uh, okay. said, hey, you know what, Pontifract Group and Dan Pontifract, what, what actually are you doing? And how are you trying to get to where you're trying to get to? And I was unclear on a few things there. And I'm still unclear, but the book is helping immensely get me uh, to that point of crossing the threshold, MBS. Well, I'll just say this, Dan, if I can. I think there's a there's an audience that's in particular serves, which are people in their kind of 
late 40s, 50s, early 60s, who are kind of, they've, they've succeeded at career and they've kind of done a bunch of good things there. And they're now in the, well, now what phase? Mm, yeah. And the blessing and the curse is that when you're at this age, you've just been around long enough that there's a bunch of stuff you can do. And we still carry the question, well, what can you do with us? And actually now you get the tyranny of choice because actually if you're Dan Pontefract, you can write books, you can give speeches, you can do online training. There's, there's all sorts of things you can do. Um, but the hard choice now is what should you do? Mm-hmm. What's, what's the thing to actually kind of go, I'm doing this and I'm not doing that. And that's partly what this book is about to support because, you know, that's, that's the questions I wrestle with as well, which is like, I can kind of do a bunch of stuff, but what will I do? What will I do indeed? Well, here's a clinking of glasses to a good bourbon in the hopes of uh, clicking that face to face again one day soon, hopefully in 2022, my friend. I love that. Thank you, Dan. Michael, thank you, sir. Good luck with the book.